Well, good morning. Well, uh, this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 42. And last week we looked at the baptism of Jesus uh, in Luke's gospel. And as I, I mentioned, we're kind of beginning a series thinking about looking at discipleship and, and our, you know, my congregation's going through a, a, a series and a study of, around discipleship. Let's talk about what that looks like. So last week we talked about what discipleship is, and this week kind of what it looks like. So, hear me read, starting at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is after Pentecost. You know, Peter's preached the sermon, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and people have been baptized. And then it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and every... And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple and together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we think about this passage and, and what it means to be a disciple and what that looks like, I just pray that you be at work among us and may all that is said be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this idea of, you know, what does discipleship look like? And it's a little bit different sermon today, um, drawing from the text. Um, but last week, as I said, we talked about what discipleship is, what it means. And we get, can get bogged down thinking about, you know, going to class and learning stuff. But it actually means it's not about what you're, what you're believing, while that's important, but it's more about what you're becoming. Or it's not about information, it's about transformation. How are you changing and growing and becoming more like Jesus? Where, where are you going? So that idea, we talked about what discipleship is, and we came to, the, to the, the final conclusion of trust is key. Trusting God, and God trusts us, and trust back to be on this journey. Well, this week we're looking at what it looks like, you know, well, what does it look like? We're, we're going to then later kind of unpack that in, in future weeks. But, but this kind of hitting the highlights of what it looks like. And this passage shows us a few things. But one of the things in, in my congregation, the book that we're using, uh, is Discipling Like Jesus. And in that they mention from, from a different book, another source, um, this acronym. Um, and I'm not big on using acronyms in a sermon. I don't do that much. I am more of expository preaching and inductive Bible study than acronyms, but they have their place, I guess. But it was a good acronym. It just kind of um, jumped out at me and has been rolling around in my head for a few weeks. But this idea of what discipleship looks like, and they use the acronym TRAIN. Now, in the original context of the person who wrote that in the book, maybe they mean training up, and, but I, I just was thinking in line that idea of a train moving down the tracks, of a train and where it's going, and on a journey. 
And they used this idea of train, and, and it fit me in what I was thinking about. So that's where we're going to go with this morning. Uh, these ideas. And the first thing, the T in train, standing for teaching. The idea of information, of, of knowledge, of growing in knowledge, of, of scripture and theology and doctrine and that kind of thing. Now, we said last week, it's not about information, it's about transformation. The, the beginning point is always, uh, there needs to be a growth in knowledge. But the knowledge here, you know, that's why I don't want to camp out in that one for too long. Because we live in a world that, I mean, we are bombarded with information. I mean, we're just information overload almost. Um, new information and information, you know, doubles every, I don't remember how many days it takes to, to double, I don't know. But there is tons of information out there on the internet. I remember that old commercial, and I forgot even what what it was for, but where the person's searching online and they finally get this message, you've reached the end of the internet. Kind of, they have seen everything, and they're just this, you know, overwhelming sadness that they. I don't know. That's possible. That there is new information, all kinds of information. Some of it good, some of it bad, some of it not true. But we get this idea of information. But I want us to also realize the information that matters as following. Christ. It says they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And one of the other things is prayer. But the information that matters most is, is Scripture. Is what's in Scripture and that wonderful interpretation of that and preaching with other people in that and teaching on that. And we you can all have all kinds of Christian books. But so many times I will find find people who will have all kinds of opinion about what it says in the Bible or what, what God said when they've never really looked at it for themselves. And if you really read it, it really doesn't say that. People have assumptions. But also God speaks through God's Word. It's living and alive. To where Scripture being part of the information in some way that you take in and also prayer. The direct information from God. You know, it says in, in John's Gospel, we're told that it's the Holy Spirit that will, that will teach you how to understand Scripture. It is the Holy Spirit that will remind you what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit who will teach and explain and give you information. And it's often gentle. And we've talked about the gentle nudge of the Spirit. But prayer. Spending time with God. And those two things, while I've preached and taught uh, series on prayer and series on uh, studying the Bible. Those two things have a multitude of ways that you can do them. And coming to what's right for you, prayer can happen in a multitude of ways, and so can Scripture. You now, for me personally, I love inductive Bible study. I love, you know, examining the text and seeing where the context is and looking at the historical setting and trying to, you know, look it up and see what it says in the Greek and see what's really meant by that. And I, I just, I love that. Well, part of how, why I love that is my own conversion to Christianity came out of inductive Bible study. And it was an inductive precept Bible study that I really surrendered my life to Christ and changed everything. To where that's often how people, once 
they've experienced God in some way, feel like that's so important and everybody needs to do that. To where there's part of me that feels like you know, everybody should love inductive Bible study, but not everybody does. I know people that are more contemplative that prefer what's called Lexio Divina, which is just basically meditating. You know, reading a passage of scripture and, and, and reading it over a few times and letting God speak. Is there a word or an idea or a theme that surfaced? What is God saying in the text and saying to you? And that has a place. God speaks through that. Or a prayer. You know, we, all kinds of ways we can pray. Praying, you know, written liturgical prayers. We can pray, uh, uh, sometimes I'll just kind of chant a word over and over. Sometimes I've seen people use the idea of mantras, but just, you know, repeating some phrase to Jesus, Jesus is Lord, uh, over and over. All kinds of ways you can pray. For me personally, often most significant prayers, I'm walking around. I walk around and just talk and talk to God and then I'll pause and listen for a moment then just walk some more and you know, people even at, at at the church have noticed and know. Well, Chuck's not in his office. He's busy walking around. I'll be walking around the sanctuary, walking around the fellowship hall, walking around, talking. But that's often how the most effective form of prayer. Because there's a multitude of ways. But in the information gathering, one of the things we see here in the text is Scripture being a part of that and prayer, communication with God, which involves sharing but often listening to what God is saying through that needs to be a peace and and we'll we'll come back to that we certainly talk about that enough in a lot of ways but I want us to move on because I said I don't want us to camp out in the the tea the teaching too much because it, we're bombarded with information and sometimes that fuels that idea in us that information is key, and that is the main thing. And almost like we view discipleship that it starts with information and then moves on. This idea that I think sometimes you see in the church, in the Western world, is if we once we've got enough information, once we have got enough our theology straight, once we've got everything and have all the information down, then we'll be ready to act on it. It's almost like it's a first step, and then the second step is, is acting on it in some way. Well, that's not the way this works. Actually, if you, if you look throughout history, that's not the way discipleship works. But it, actually, if you look throughout history, that's not the way learning or life change or changing anything works. Even modern science on, on the study of the brain and how the brain works, we've learned that's not actually it. The, the whole concept of neurological pathways and learning new information and helping brain, brain plasticity as you learn things and apply stuff. and This idea, and it's quoted in the book, of this concept that we often think that, you know, if we think hard enough or have the information and think about it long enough, it will lead to action, to acting on it. But actually, it's the other way around. We often act our way into a new way of thinking. That is putting it into practice. It is doing things. It is acting and, and that go hand in hand. As we've said before, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount that says, you want to build your house on the rock instead of the sand. It's hear these things and act on them. And we know it's true if you've ever tried to learn a, a, a new language or uh, learn to any a new skill, to learn to play an instrument. 
You can't just read about it. You actually actually do it. Now, I, I'm not good at learning new languages. I guess that's why I like, you know, ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew. You don't have to talk it. Because I was tried to learn Spanish one time. I mean, I tried to learn Spanish in high school. It was terrible. But not a few years ago. I was doing a lot of mission work, going to, to Central America a lot. I wanted to learn Spanish. And so I, I did the uh, Rosetta Stone thing, which was better than anything I'd done because it kind of immerses you into it. And you're supposed to do a little bit every day and makes you learn the conversational stuff. But I still was terrible at it. And I know people that have learned and studied languages in high school and college, and then when it gets to, maybe all they have is book knowledge. When it gets to actually communicating and go to foreign countries, oh, now what did they say? They'll say, well, I don't know. They spoke too fast. The dialect's different. I don't know. Where really what happens is just like a child learning the language they're immersed in. Your brain just gets wired for it. Because you're, you're in it and you act on it. Same thing with learning to ride a bicycle. And, and, you know, you fall and you do it. You can't just read a book on it and pick it up one day. It is just putting it into practice and doing it until you learn the skill. Sometimes it's failing along the way. But then most people, once they learn it, you can ride a bicycle the rest of your life. It's true with swimming. It's, it's true with playing an instrument. You have, to, you have to do it, and that makes the neurological pathways when, when action and activity and your body and your muscles are connected to the piece of information. It makes, that's what makes true life change lasting. So you can't just get stuck or start at the information piece, and once I have all the information down, there are going to be things about God and theology we are never going to have the answer to, and everybody's going to come up with different opinions because we're not God and we'll never know. You can't wait until we've got all the information pieces together before you act on it. So I just want us to move on to the, to the next thing. The, in the train, you have the T, which is teaching, this information idea, and may your teaching come from God and Scripture as well. That's key to discipleship. But then relationship is the R. R stands for Relationship. That real life change, real transformation, real being the body of Christ, you can't be the body of Christ without relationship. Now, we're going to certainly unpack that some more, too, of what that looks like. You know, Paul talking about, you know, everybody has a different part to play and a different role and spiritual gifts, and you can't accomplish the task without other people. But even the life change in our own lives is most effective in relationships. And I'll just, I'll just tell you, that's one of the things that's hardest for me. Because I am an off-the-chart introvert. I just am. Um, my wife is an extrovert. You know, if, if she's not around other people and friends for, for a while, it's kind of draining on her. She, she needs other people. They help, help her kind of recharge. It doesn't have to be a whole lot of other people, but she just needs some other people. I'm kind of the opposite. If I'm around other people a lot, you know, if I'm, I'm just around people so much my wife can look at me and she can say you're, you're kind of peopled out aren't you I'm like yes you know I gotta go kind of sit quietly somewhere to get recharged I'm an introvert so this idea that relationship is key something I have learned actually learned years ago but kind of learned kicking and screaming but it's true and here you see that they devoted themselves to fellowship 
And some fellowship was large group, meeting in the temple, meeting in large places. Some fellowship was in a house and, and meeting in fellowship around a meal. Some around the sacramental meal of the Lord's Supper, but fellowship of relationship. And I have come to believe that is key to discipleship and life change. And it doesn't have to be a huge group. I mean, yes, coming and being part of the body of Christ and coming to fellowship things and coming to, to worship together. But the real, the real life change happens in intimate, close relationships. Relationships of honesty and vulnerability and truth. As I said, I discovered that kind of kicking and screaming along the way. And then as I looked more into it and was starting uh, different ministries and different things, I learned that is so true. And I ended up going and, and getting trained in some different discipleship models. And one was around, I believe the company was 3DM, and around, and it was some great resources, some great stuff. But th their stuff was around uh, what they call a huddle. Um, but it's basically kind of a small group, and not just meeting and, and learning and Bible study and what does that think for you. What it was was intentional, kind of moving forward with God. What, what you did as, as, as the facilitator, the whole goal, and you did different learning, different shapes, and it was ways to kind of learn different concepts in Christianity and grow. But the bottom line was that you, you wanted people to discern what is it that God is, is wanting you to do and how can we help you do it? That was really it. Is God wanting you to step out and do something? Is God wanting to tweak something in your life? Is God wanting you to relax about something? Is there something that God wants to do? And how can we help you? How can we encourage you? How can we hold you accountable? Because see, those are all pieces that are important. I've said before, said last week, you know, Luke, who also wrote Acts, traveled with Paul. And most all the epistles, had, they'd all been written by the time Luke writes this down. So when it says they gathered and they were gathered in homes, they knew what that meant. Because they'd been told and been doing it. So if you read some of the, the writings and the epistles and what's said of how to live that out. You know, there's things like confessing your sins one to another, holding each other accountable, encouraging one another, encouraging the goal of your acts of, of kindness or to, to lead to other people, encouraging us all to move forward and to good works. I mean, all these things are open, honest relationships, sharing and, and where transformation is the goal. Now, I've done the, the huddle thing before, and that was good, but I've, I've said before my favorite kind of discipleship relationships and model is the life transformation group of Neil Cole. And it's the one, I've said before, you know, where two people meet, read Scripture, and ask accountability questions. And kind of what's God doing, what God's saying? Now, what do you need to do about it? How do I need to hold you accountable? Is there something you need to confess sin-wise? Just an honest relationship between two people. And hopefully it grows to three people. And when it grows to four people, your group gets to four, it, it splits off to two more people. So never, never gets larger than four people. I mean, that's the introvert's model. But that's the one that, that fits me. Over the years, and tried to cultivate relationships where you can live into that model of meeting, transforming. 
even where I've said before, you know, that relational peace is so key. I, I love, give the illustration. People come to call it, my wife calls it the numbers illustration, that if you wanted to plant a church of, of reach a billion people, and you've got 20 people who could reach 1,000 people a week, that's 20,000 people a week being added to your group. I and mean, that's a large number. That's a, that is like adding the largest church of North America every week. It would take you 961 years to reach a billion people. But if you just reach two people and for an entire year poured your life into those two people, toward the end of that year, those two people could go reach just two more people. Many of you know where I'm going with this. Your first year you got three people. Next year you got nine people. But if you just kept doing that and focusing on cultivating a relationship and investing in two people a year, 18 years you'd reach a billion people. 24 years you'd reach the entire population of the earth twice. I think that's why you see Jesus have large groups that he met with, but then he had smaller groups like the 12 disciples. You had the large group, then the 150, then the 12, and out of the 12 you have the three, Peter, James, and John. And if you really see any major revival movement in history that had lasting effect, a relationship of accountability is usually involved there. Well, we come to the next letter, which is A, attributes, is what A stands for. What attributes of Christ are, are surfacing in your life? What's the fruit of, of what's being on this journey of the information and the relational activity that, that you're trying to push and what God is trying to do? is Are there attributes in your life that are, that are surfacing? Now, there are scholars that have gone and gone through Scripture and looked at, you know, Jesus' life and what's said in the New Testament and come up with a list of, you know, like 150 attributes that a Christian could be working on. But you give me a list of 150 attributes, and it's a little overwhelming. To where a good place to start, because there's a lot of things, attributes of Jesus, but a good place to start is Galatians. Um, what Paul gives, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's a good starting point. The attributes that are, that are happening in your life, that are, that are being cultivated. And it's not really that you, you pick one and say, well, I'm going you know, to implement this one. I'm going to be gentle. I am, I'm here. I'm going to focus on being gentle today. Or, you know, I'm, I'm going to be self-controlled. And it, yes, you can do that, but... The idea of attributes here I see more as what is cultivating in you? When you're taking in the right information, when you're in relationship of accountability, helping you discern what, what is God inviting you to do? What is God wanting you to do? And how can others be a part? How can God help you move forward in that? When you're doing that, wanting to follow Jesus, it has a tendency to cultivate the attributes of Christ in your life. To where, you know, you'll find, well, some self-control happens so you can implement what it is. Or some, some joy happens because you're, you're on the right track and you see joy. That doesn't mean it's a joy, wonderful situation, but sometimes you just find yourself in those. 
patience, I, I, that being cultivated in my own life, well, how that often happens is being placed in situations where you need patience, where you got to wait and where it's uncomfortable. And if you're in relationships of accountability and taking the right information, over the years I've found myself, oh, wow, I, I was more patient in that than I, than I was the, the week before. Or gentleness. You know, I'm, I, I own the fact that I don't always come across as the most gentle person. Um, but you can ask my wife and my kids. God has done some profound work in me in that. It has some more to do. When you're in those relationships and when you're moving forward and got the right information and you're intentional about growing and following Christ and it just has a tendency to cultivate some of those things in you, some of those fruits of the Spirit, some of those attributes of Christ that will show up. Now, I own the fact that I'm, I'm not, I, I don't always come across as the gentlest person in the world. Um, I own that. But you can ask my wife and my kids that God has done a profound work in my life in that area. Probably still got a ways to go. But if you are moving forward as a disciple, moving down that track, then it has a tendency to cultivate those things, some of them. Some of them are harder. Some of them come more easy. But what are you seeing attributes surface in your life? Because if it's always just anger and, and frustration or fear, maybe you need to rethink. A am I taking in the right information? Seeking God in this. And we're in intimate relationships of accountability, seeking to be helped and work and where's the gentle nudge of the spirit in that and how how are people helping me move down that road am i intentional about that so that idea of attributes of what what is what is the gifting that god wants to use it is more along those lines of what what gifts seem to surface in you and you've got the spiritual gifts of what we're we're role in the church you know or what what role in the body you play and we'll, we'll talk about that more and those are part of that that we all have, have gifts and strengths. But also, what is, what is being cultivated? What, what in your character and your, your nature and, you, and who you are seems to grow? That's part of the sign. That's part of, is this, am I in this discipleship rhythm? Becoming more like Christ. What I'm becoming, what I'm being transformed to. So that idea of, of attributes and the most basic list, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Well, then we get to the next letter, which is I, which is investments. Now, in the church, when you say the word investments as something along discipleship, what is the, I mean, the first thing we think of is money. You know, invest in the ministry of the church. Give your money. And investment money is important, and, and giving you the church is important. I encourage you to give your local church. You feel free to give to my church. Give, give, give is important. Giving into a ministry, giving into what God is doing. Partly because, and I've said this before, greed is one of the most destructive forces on the planet. When you, I was talking to my son the other day, and we were talking about different wars, and you know, you peel away the layers, and usually money's at the bottom. Greed is at the core of so many of our issues. It's destructive and deadly. And the biblical antidote to greed is generosity. 
And so, yes, giving, giving financially, if you find yourself being greedy and, you know, go, go write a check, go give something away. It's all God's anyway. So, you know, there's my little money spill. But I want us to think about investment as something more than that, different than that. An investment is, is something, you know, you, you, you sacrifice, you, you give towards, you surrender to with the hope of having a you know, positive result in the future that sometimes you don't see it right away, sometimes it may be later. That idea of investment, where are you depositing? Thinking about investing in, in prayer as depositing in, in the kingdom. Or in, in, where is it? And, and those ideas... It's different than the attributes, the gifts that are surfacing in you. Here's the investment. Here's the thing that are more, I think, in terms of spiritual disciplines. That's where a discipline is, is different than you know, a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is what God's bringing out in you and what it comes, either already comes natural or God's cultivating in you to do, and skilling, giving gifts to do. The, the disciplines the things that, yeah, you may need to work on. The areas that, that out of relationship, and relationship always <laughs> exposes areas that we may need to tweak, that God may want to encourage us to shift in. And especially when we're open in those relationships and honest and open to honest feedback, there's always things that we may need to work on. And we can't do it by ourselves. We need God to help us. And, but spiritual disciplines can help with that. And you see those mentioned in Scripture, and there's all kinds of things of setting aside intentional time for prayer, for this, or fasting. You know, that's another discipline. We talk about those a lot during the season of Lent. You know, different spiritual disciplines you can, you can go through. But it may be those one or two things, you know. For a long time, the spiritual discipline of, of writing in a planner, of, of keeping track and organizing my day better was a discipline because I, I, I realized to accomplish what God wanted me to do, I needed to do that. And it, it took some spiritual friends exposing me to some things and helping to learn to implement that. Or, you know, disciplines that I have, I have in my office, and I've, I've mentioned this before, in, in my office, uh, well, now I have a you know, framed, pretty, painting of it but for years I used to have just a piece of paper taped to the wall that said seriousness is not a fruit of the spirit but joy is because I can get so serious and focused and want to fix a problem and and those are things that's good you know in, in control can come in and, and realize I'm trying to solve this but it can get out of hand for me sometimes and I can I can miss the joy that is the point and so then I had a staff at another church. My staff went together, and they, they got this person to paint his pretty picture and put the words, you know, seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is for me to hang in my office. Because sometimes the, the spiritual discipline, I mean, I, I don't need the spiritual discipline of control and seriousness. That kind of can come natural. Sometimes I need the spiritual discipline of play, so it cultivates joy. Sometimes we need a spiritual discipline of, of something. Maybe play is all you want to do, and you need some spiritual discipline that encourages self-control and helping other people 
having, again, out of relationships, other people helping you along. But that's where those disciplines fit in. It's, it's like, you know, an athlete training for something. You're training for the Olympics. You know, the discipline is, is working to try to train your body in something that it's not doing at the time. Or learning a new discipline. That's why we call it discipline. It's, it's you know, learning to do something you, you don't already know how to do. So that's where these spiritual disciplines can come into play. If you discover, you know, I'm not getting the right information, a discipline of, of how to read scripture, just the daily discipline of reading some scripture, of prayer, or fasting, or the list goes on and on. If you find yourself being prideful and arrogant, wanting to get credit for things, the spiritual discipline of secrecy. Go do something for someone else and don't take the credit for it. Or even better, have someone else get credit for it. Those are the idea of the investments. Is it costing you something? Are you investing and intentional in it? the I stands for. And then we get to the end, the final one, which is for needs. And we certainly see that in the passage we read today. They were meeting the needs of each other, meeting the needs of other people. Understand that's always the goal. The body of Christ, if we're, if we're moving forward, following Christ, is meeting the needs of the world. I mean, that's what Christ did. The world needs Jesus, needs the gospel. I mean, that's our, our, our freedom in Christ. That's life change and eternity and that's the basic thing we need. But also, people need healing and wholeness. And people need food. The poor need to be cared for. People are hungry, need to be fed. You see that in the life of Jesus, of meeting the needs of each other in the community, in the body of Christ, and then meeting the needs of the world. Um, you know, that's kind of the target. It, it's not as long-term sustainable and have its long-term change effect and, and ongoing without all the other pieces of discipleship. You can just set out to do something good for other people, but it generally doesn't last. Even as, as earlier when I was talking about the Methodist movement, when you get a small group of people intentional about moving forward and doing what God would want done in a community, that's when you get amazing things happen. If you look in history, that's where you get schools start that become later universities of higher learning that's where hospitals were all originated educational things where feeding of the hungry and the poor and multiple things in that are done all over the world meeting the needs of people is a kingdom goal so all of these things the the train from the teaching, that's the information, what is being taken in from God, the relationships, the intimate relationships, accountability, moving forward, the attributes, what's coming, what's, what's being cultivated, what are, what are the gifts, what's surfacing in you because of it. That's part of the journey. The investments, where's the sacrifice? What's the intentional way that you need to, God's wanting to, to grow you and train you? That's, the, that's the, the pruning and the shaping that talks about all over Scripture. You see, I believe the enemy wants to stall us out at any point. We can get bogged down in one, one of those areas and not move forward. We can get stuck in just gathering information. We can get stuck in relationship and just keep, you know, 
patting each other on the back and having fellowship supper and never move forward. We can get stuck in cultivating the joy and the gifts without the other pieces and want an emotional experience. We can get stuck in the disciplines and it becomes just a legalistic discipline thing. We can get stuck in just social justice and need meeting. If we get stuck in any one of those areas on the track and it's not fully moving forward as a disciple, becoming more like Christ, the enemy loves it. Because then we start fighting about it and we start arguing about who's doing what and how we're doing things instead of moving forward. Because movement towards God, movement of the kingdom, moving out and what God wants to do is key. And I want to come back to what I said at the beginning. Life transformation is what happens because I want to, I want to let you in to, to something. And Neil Cole writes about this in, in his book. I love his little book on discipleship. But I happen to agree with it. That the power, it is the power that moves this train forward. The power that the body of Christ has, the power that is in the church is found, yes, in the Holy Spirit, what God wants to do, but it's in life change. It's the fact that a human life can change when God intervenes that, that is the power of the church. We sometimes don't see it. We get stuck in just staying the way we are, staying what we're doing, and that's where we lose so much of our power. Think about it. It's the stories of life change. It's the moments of life change. It's the things you see around life change that are, that are so powerful. And God is still changing lives. And one of the stories that Nicole tells in that book is an event that happened at Chuck Colson. And some of you may know of Chuck Colson. He died around, I think, 2012. But Chuck Colson was a very successful attorney. Very successful. Um, successful in politics, successful in all kinds of things. Ended up being a top advisor for President uh, Nixon. And was even referred to as Nixon's hatchet man at times. He just was very involved in, in uh, advising there. And because of that and his success, and he had a lot of success and influence and power, he also ended up being the first one to go to prison uh, for Watergate. Had to plead guilty to obstruction of justice and some other things, um, ended up in prison. While he's in prison, he became a Christian. And then when he got out, he started prison fellowship. And within a few years, it became international prison fellowship all over the world. It's what he devoted his life to to teaching and to talking about cultivating and for Christians to work together to change lives. And he, he mentioned at one point he was in a prison about to speak in a chapel and was one of the speakers and he just sat there and was kind of contemplating. He writes about this in one of his books that you know all the success and all the stuff that he had and all the things, his education that he was wired for and did that he thought were important, that's not what ended up making the difference. He was really, ended up in prison and his life being changed by Christ that brought about so much transformation in others 
and where he found what God wanted him to do. Now, I tell you that, sometimes we'll hear testimonies like that and think, well, maybe I need to do something and end up going to prison, so then you've got this life-changing testimony. You've missed the point of why I'm saying that. One of the key things, I mean, it is the heart of the gospel. Anything can be redeemed, my life, your life. We can change. God can transform us. God is molding and shaping. And yes, hopefully you have a, a story of how you are vastly different in surrendering your life to Christ, but also the small little things. That's why it says you'll go be my witnesses in the world. Whether we want to or not, we're going to be the witness. And you know what is the power of the church is when the witness is beautiful. And sometimes the witness is beautiful when I can tell somebody, you know, here's where I've failed and here's where God showed me I'm failing, very gentleness of the Spirit, and here's where the group of people that are helping me cultivate and move forward and address that and how God is changing in my life. Here's how I'm a little different, a little closer, a little more like Jesus this week than I was three weeks ago. Those are powerful testimonies of life change. The full discipleship life change involving all of these areas, the stories and the, the action that comes out of a changed, transformed life, that is the power that the body of Christ doesn't see that it has so often. And so I invite us to be open to the Holy Spirit and where maybe these aspects of, of discipleship that we need to work more in we need to surrender to be open to be intentional about because there again it's it's about the transformation of the world that begins with the transformation of us and sometimes some big profound ways and sometimes some small steps along the way of transformation but maybe we move forward as disciples as we follow christ let us pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you for the fact that you love us. As we said last week, that you trust us, that you died for us. But part of that is that you, you know human lives can change, that you can step in and intervene. May we be open to it. May we surrender to it. May we be intentional about it. May you help us discover ways that you want us to move forward as disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.